Here's a summary of Getting Over Yourself by Dean and Sarah in just about 30 seconds. So Pastor Dean and Sarah takes a look at some of the churches that are really popular right now, and I love them too, you know, the ones with the really great music and then like the rock star preacher and how maybe we're getting away from the real goal of church, which is just to connect with others. And one of the common threads that a lot of these pastors have is telling people to, you know, live your best life and God's got bigger and better things for you, which can be true, but Ultimately, God wants us to find joy in Him and not the things of the world. And where everyone is talking about authenticity now, real authenticity is thinking about who God is and what He's doing in your life and sharing that with others. Welcome to the 30 Second Book Club podcast. I'm Andy. Uh, I got a very big announcement coming up at the end of this podcast, by the way. Uh, but this is a place for people who want to read more books and be in a book club but don't really have time to do either. I take care of that for you. So Pastor Dean and Sarah wrote this fantastic book called Getting Over Yourself. So let's start here. What inspired you to write this book? What inspired me to write the book is that I saw across kind of Christian popular culture in America, Instagram especially, uh, this messaging over and over again was getting likes and shares and all these positive comments that really kind of painted God as a self-help coach uh, whose main purpose in life is to help you reach your potential in this world. And by potential, it usually means great things by the world standards, success, money, fame, uh, those type of things. And God's name is attached to it as if that's really what he is about ultimately is advancing us and our personal ambitions and desires. And I really thought we needed, I needed to write about it uh, because that's not the biblical message at all. Yet we have so many people who are going hook, line, and sinker into that kind of thinking. Well, I think, and you start the book with this, talking about something that I forgot Ted Turner said this years ago, but he said that um, Christianity is for losers. And I think maybe there's uh, a mindset of people saying, well, no, it's not. It's not. We're winners. But, you know, I, I like how you kind of dissect where was he wrong in that? And then where was he, he right as well? Well, well, theologically, he's ultimately wrong because we have the victory in Christ, right? Death has lost its sting. It, it does not win ultimately because Jesus has risen from the grave. Uh, so in the good news of the gospel, we are certainly uh, not losers. But we are losers by the world standards and the fact that we were never designed by God to be impressive in this world. Yes, we're designed as Christians, as the church, to let our light shine before others. But that's to reflect Christ, not ourselves. Uh, so I think there's a temptation right now that's being really acted upon and given into, and that's for the world to really like us, for the world to think we're not, I'm putting air quotes up, those kind of Christians you know, <laughs> who aren't cool or, you know, who aren't cool or savvy. And this new messaging, I call it the new prosperity gospel. You now the old prosperity gospel, it still exists, of course, but it was all about like health and wealth. You know, God wants to take you out of debt, heal your disease. If you just pray this prayer, you know, have enough faith. That's not this new messaging because that old messaging is kind of fringy. You can be embarrassed by it. This new prosperity gospel is hip and it's savvy and it's cool. And rather than tell you that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy, instead it's that God wants you to reach your potential and achieve your destiny and dream God-sized dreams. They tell you things like that greater things are coming, the best is yet to come. But by all that, they just mean a definition by how American, more affluent people would think about what is great and what is best. Mm, yeah, and you talk about that. That's kind of what the the Disneyfication uh, of the Bible is. Maybe talk a little bit more about what that looks like. Yeah, well, Disney's all about the experience, right? When I take my kids there, one of the words that come out of their mouth is, "This is magical." You know, and, and so now <laughs> a, a lot of people, and I agree, it is. But a, a lot of people today they view local church services as an experience. 
they actually use that word. They call them their experiences. I'm not gonna get hung up on words. I don't think you're like in some sort of you know ungodly state if you call a worship service an experience, but the mindset worries me because it's always about then a production and doing more and being more over the top. And I worry that if someone who goes to one of these churches has to move to a city where they don't have churches that had the amazing lights and all the money and the budget for the best music you've ever heard and a TED talk, you know, savvy quality preacher, that they wouldn't even be able to worship and be part of a local church unless all those elements were in place. That's one of the things we, we mask it under the word excellence and use that as an excuse for everything. And I want things to be excellent. I think God deserves all the glory, but we have sadly now defined excellence by a certain style rather than by a heart posture and an effort. So when we see church as an experience, we're not treating any different than Disney World, where it has to be over the top, has to be impressive, has to be better every week. When our main purpose coming together as a church is to, is to worship the Lord and to hear the teaching and to pray together and, and to assemble together. And that can happen if you're in a third world country or if you're in suburban Atlanta. So I just worry that we're setting ourselves up for a faith crisis uh, because we're ascribing promises to God that he's never made and we're creating a world and a, and a gospel message that would be unrecognizable in a third world or closed persecuted to the gospel country. I thought this was kind of interesting. I'd never heard uh, this phrase before, but it makes a lot of sense in your chapter, hashtag filter. Uh, the new prosperity gospel points us toward MTD, moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah, moral therapeutic deism is really the, the kind of religion and the name of Christianity that's being presented a lot by these guys, by these pastors today. And it's that God is definitely like more passive and he more or less uh, wants us to uh, be people who live good morals and who achieve self-help. Uh, so God is not really a God who's going to judge. He's not going to talk a lot about sin. He's not going to call us to repentance. Instead, he's going to be more of a gospel of feelings and a gospel of of us making sure that we have no guilt in our lives, that we feel empowered, uh, that our day is going to be better. And so just, we think of like that therapeutic kind of idea that's so prevalent over all of our country, all of our country, all of our culture. Now we've attached God's name onto it. And that's the God we're presenting is the God of a, a more of a moral therapeutic deism than the actually than actually Yahweh of uh, the God of the scriptures. Now, I think it's interesting because you must feel this because uh, you wrote it in the book that uh, talking so uh, much about trying to just biblically um, write what's been going on with the this um, new prosperity gospel, you say, well, I don't want to be, the goal is not to be an Eeyore-like posture of Christianity. So, But that must be so hard at some points because it, it really feels like, well, you... You, you don't, you know, God didn't promise this to you. If you yeah. do this, you're going to succeed. And so you know, how do you, how do you make it? So there's still hope and joy with all of that. Sure. Yeah. That's a great question. And I really want to make, make it clear that in the scriptures, the greatest blessing of God is God himself. Like I want to actually really believe that Jesus himself is the goal. You know, John the Baptist, right when he sees Jesus, and John the Baptist had a platform. The New Prosperity Gospel loves that word platform, right? And he had a platform. If anybody had a platform, he did. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes on the scene, and what's his response? There he is, the Lamb of God. He declares Jesus who he really is, and he says, he must increase, I must decrease. Now, the New Prosperity Gospel, <laughs> they're totally fine with Jesus increasing, as long as we get to do it with them. <laughs> and 
And so I, I don't think that God wants us to be miserable. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that I want, I believe when I read the scriptures over and over again from cover to cover, it's that God wants us to find that joy ultimately in him, not in the things of this world. And every Christian I know would say amen to that. But functionally, we act like we still have to achieve these other things and have these things in our lives in order to be fulfilled. But to make us feel better about it, we code it with Christian lingo and attach some kind of out-of-context Bible verses to it to make it where we get to increase with God. And that's just not the posture in the New Testament. You're not seeing the disciples elevate themselves. You're not seeing the disciples desire to achieve great personal things for themselves. They want to achieve these things for the Lord. And it doesn't take a big, huge stage and a big, huge budget to be able to do that. It requires faithfulness in the mundane and ordinary things of life uh, where discipleship actually happens. So I, I just more or less think that that where God actually grows us and makes us is in the basic, ordinary, mundane things of life. And in this new prosperity gospel, the mundane is frowned upon. They'll say things like, God, is, God doesn't want you to settle for less than his best. But by that, they mean earthly achievements. Like God's best is himself. <laughs> That's what God's best is. He doesn't want us to settle for lesser gods is really the message of the Bible. So I want folks to believe that Jesus really is the greatest treasure. So let's, let's dive in a little bit more about taking verses out of context, because you have an entire chapter about this. And let's just uh, unpack one that you've heard over and over again. And I've said it, and I'll be honest, I'm guilty of this too, just maybe taking this out of context. Jeremiah 29, 11. And for, I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans to not harm you. You know, this is written to a people who are in exile. And, and he's giving them assurance in exile that he has not forgotten his covenant promise to them. We've made that verse about <laughs> high school graduation. And we've attached it to that you're going to have awesome things happen in your life. And again, I'm I'm worried that we're taking, we're describing promises to God that he's never made before. Jeremiah 29, 11 should give us one of the great hopes in all the Bible, that God will not forget his people, uh, that he keeps his word, that he will allow them uh, to stay in covenant with him by his grace and his mercy. Uh, These people who were in Babylon, in exile, many times suffering, uh, surrounded by false gods, and he's going, no, I know the plans I have for you. I haven't forgotten about you. That's not about unrealized potential being met or, or go take the hill, you know, or you, you have, I spoke at a high school graduation once and I told them, I said, Hey, I, this is going to sound negative, but I want to actually encourage you guys all week long. You've been told by people, you have unlimited potential. And I said, I'm just going to break the news to you. That's actually (laughs) not true. (laughs) In fact, we're all, we're all very limited. We all are but we serve unlimited God. So let's put our hope in him and our trust in him rather than anything we can accomplish and then hope that God uses us for his glory. And maybe he'll even do it in a way that allows us to achieve some of the things that we've desired. I, I do think there's a godly ambition that we don't want to make sure that, that I'm, I'm not in any way frowning upon that. I'm all for godly ambition, but there's a fine line when it becomes selfish. Speaking of fine line, I thought this was kind of interesting because, um, you know, just just to be honest, in, in the radio world, we experience this too, especially Christian radio, where we're told now uh, the most important thing you can do is be authentic, be authentic. And there's this emphasis on authenticity, not just on radio, of course, but also uh, with preachers and everything like that. And you talk about a little bit uh, kind of the pitfalls behind that and, and what do we need to watch out for when we're saying hey we're being authentic this is what jesus wants us to do yeah well what's happening now is we throw these words around with no definition to it so people are like be authentic be authentic it's like okay but what does that actually mean 
And it really, mm. and by that, they usually mean just don't be super spiritual. <laughs> like that, that, that's often what people mean. You know, it, it's trying to be kind of normal and that kind of idea. When, you know, my, my authentic self is not a good self. Yeah, you know, it, it's a self, it's a self that needed to be redeemed. You know, so I want to be my new self. I want to be more like Jesus and, and less like me. I'm not saying I had that down or had that market corner by any means, but that authentic self language is just, I just think it's so overplayed right now. And it actually is sort of inauthentic because it means that we're trying really hard to present ourselves in a certain way. And, and that's not very natural to me, you know, in my eyes. So I just encourage listeners not to get caught up, caught up in all of that. And instead, when you think of authenticity, uh, I would instead just be honest about who God is and the work he's doing in your life. You know, and the fact that he who began a, work, a good work in you is going to be faithful to complete it because, you know, it's not complete yet. The work he's done in our lives, the work of salvation uh, in terms of the promises of God are real for us. Uh, but the full realization of it is yet to come, you know, in the new heavens, and the new earth. So let that be what we're about, not about trying to present ourselves. I just think the new authenticity movement is more of us trying to present ourselves a certain way. And that's not very authentic, if you ask me. So at the end of the book, you talk about pursuing godly ambition. And so much of the new, um, the new prosperity church is more about, hey, if you believe it, you can achieve it and all this stuff. And so what does godly ambition look like as opposed to maybe that ambition that you might hear from churches that don't necessarily have uh, are, are pushing you the right way I, I think a godly ambition is attached to the great commission you know when jesus told his disciples you'll do greater things than these he wasn't talking about them landing a great internship in new york city you know or having a certain or having a certain amount of followers or allowing enough kickstarter money to happen for their project it was all tied to the mission to the great commission uh, so i would hope that our godly ambition is tied to that like our ambition is to is for god's glory and the mission to go forward and again i'm not trying to sound like some super spiritual guy you know that i said i and are, are trying to suggest that i model this all the time it's a constant work uh, paul wrote to examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith so I think with any kind of ambition i have i need to examine myself and go hey if this was taken away from me and i didn't achieve it would it do anything to my faith would it make me think of god less and I think that's the problem is when our ambition is so tied to ourselves that we equate God being happy with us or God blessing us with allowing us to achieve these certain things. I think that's when it becomes selfish ambition because God's promises are then tied to my desires and they're tied to what I want to achieve. Uh, so I would also hope that if it really is about the Great Commission, you can be, help, you can be happy for others being successful. You know, and, and maybe achieving something that, that you wanted to but weren't able to or getting that job, getting that uh, invitation to speak at this, whatever it could be. Uh, so I, I want that. I want to be able to if I can't celebrate with others, I'm probably also uh, having selfish ambition. But I hope people strive uh, towards the things they want to do in their life. There's people who are listening right now who say, I want to be this and I want to do that. My advice would be go get it 100 miles an hour. You know, go after it. Uh, but just realize that God's faithfulness and God's promises are in no way tied to anything we achieve on this earth. They're all tied to himself and his word about what he's done for us spiritually in Christ. Okay, so coming up next week in the 30 Second Book Club podcast, actually, there isn't a next week. I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. This is actually the end. As we reach the end of 2021, I mean, this is the challenge that I've been given. Maybe it's a challenge you can accept too for 2022 to get rid of the good, to go after the great. This was such a good thing. I'm so honored you are a part of the 32nd Book Club journey, but there's something greater out there and I'm gonna find it. I'm gonna bring it back to you and we're gonna be encouraged all over again, okay? So this is not the end of podcasting for me, but it is the end of the 32nd Book Club podcast. So thanks again for being part of the journey and I'll see you next year.